The bodies of a mother, her four children, and their two dogs are discovered under the terrace of their stately home in Nantes, France. They're dressed in pajamas, wrapped in blankets, and entombed with crosses and crucifixes. Each of them was shot with two bullets. But someone is missing from the gruesome burial plot. Where is the man of the house, Count Xavier? A businessman and descendant of a centuries-old line of French aristocracy. He hasn't been seen since the murders in April 2011. Did he take his own life or start a new one somewhere else? That's the question Interpol thought they had the answer to when they came across a man's skeletal remains. But a strange note sent to a journalist on the back of a missing family photo hinted the mystery would not soon be solved. It said only, I am alive. So, what really happened to the Dupont de Lagon family, and where in the world is Xavier? Good to see you. I'm Chris, and this is True Crime Recaps. If you like getting all the crime in half the time, you're in the right place. Every week, Amy and I are here recapping developing cases and shedding light on old mysteries. We'd love to have you join us as we catch you up on some crazy twists and turns in this dangerous world. The first sign that the Dupont de Lagon family was not okay came in the form of a literal sign on their mailbox. It read, Please return all correspondence to sender. Thank you. Their neighbor noticed it in early April of 2011. And when she came to think of it, she realized she hadn't seen Xavier or his wife Agnes in a while. Nor had she seen their two youngest kids, 16-year-old Anne or 13-year-old Benoit. Their older sons, 21-year-old Arthur and 18-year-old Thomas, were away at college, but she couldn't remember the last time she'd seen them visit. It was odd, because they were usually such a lively bunch. And just as strange as the note on the mailbox were the closed shutters on the family home. They were always left open, even when they vacationed. But surely someone was home, because Agnes's car was still parked out front, and the entire family, plus their two Labradors, Jules and Leon, couldn't fit in Xavier's car. She mulled the mystery over for two days. On April 13, 2011, she called the police. The house was locked up tight when they arrived. After calling a locksmith to get the front door open, they found no one at home. But everything was in its place. No blood, no signs of a struggle, nothing to suggest anything awful had happened. And they had no reason to start an investigation. But friends and family knew in their hearts they had every reason to worry. And they were right. Two days before their neighbor sounded an alarm, Anne and Benoit's school got a letter from Xavier, settling up tuition and telling them the kids wouldn't be returning. His excuse was that they were moving to Australia due to an urgent work issue, except Anne and Benoit hadn't been to school since April 4th, and none of their friends had heard from them since then either. The Catholic school, where Agnes taught, got a similar letter, supposedly written by her, although no one could say for absolute sure that they had seen the 48-year-old woman since April 3rd. But another letter told a different story. It was postmarked on April 11th, the same day as the school letters. And it was even more unbelievable. It claimed Xavier was secretly involved with the U.S. Drug Enforcement Association as an informant for drugs and money laundering in French nightclubs. As a result, they were going into witness protection in America, but if anyone asked, they should say they moved to Australia. It was typed but unsigned and sent to nine people in Xavier's family. This was a bizarre announcement, without a doubt. To the casual observer, all seemed well for the family. 
If you had to point out something wrong, you could look no further than their bank accounts. Despite his fancy title and aristocratic lineage, the family was living relatively modestly. Xavier worked in sales and operated a few online businesses catering to other salespeople and travelers. Agnes was a teaching assistant at a local Catholic school and spent much of her free time involved with the activities of the church. But in the privacy of his office, Xavier had been racking up enormous amounts of debt and collection agencies were literally on his doorstep. On April 5th, a man stopped by the house to try to collect a debt worth thousands of dollars, but no one opened up, and he wasn't the only one trying and failing to make contact with the family. None of them were responding to any messages online or by phone. There was absolutely no sign of them. Well, almost no sign. Xavier seemed to be acting normal. Or was he? On April 7th, the neighbor noticed him loading several big bags into his car. On the 8th, the family's computer logged activity online and Xavier's extended family got emails from his address. But when Arthur's girlfriend came by the house to check on him on April 6th, no one answered her knock. She hadn't seen her boyfriend for almost a week and she was worried. And She could see Xavier's car there and lights on in the house, but there was silence inside. Not even the family's two dogs were barking like they always did when someone was at the door. As it turned out, she wasn't the only one wondering what was going on with Arthur. He hadn't turned up at work or school since April 1st. And the last time anyone outside the family saw Thomas was on April 5th, the day before his brother's girlfriend stopped by the house. He'd been hanging out with a friend when he got a call from his father, telling him to come home immediately because his mother had been in a bike accident. He took a train home and was never seen again. But neighbors remember April 5th for another reason. That was the night the family's two dogs suddenly went silent. They'd been howling almost nonstop for two days. When friends reached out to Thomas by text, they got strange responses. Over the next few days, they got messages saying, I'm sick, I'm not coming out, which was very unlike him. And then his excuse got downright weird. He said his phone was almost out of power and his father was trying to get him a charger. And that was the last they ever heard from him. But speaking of his father, Xavier and Thomas were seen out at dinner together the night before that, on April 4th. But witnesses say they didn't talk much and Thomas was overheard complaining about feeling sick when they left. It must have been going around because that was also the first day someone called the school to say Anne and Benoit were sick and wouldn't be in. But later that night, after dinner with his son, Xavier called his sister to chat and talk about how well the family was doing. They talked for almost an hour, and later she remembered nothing unusual about the conversation. He had been trying to reach her since the previous night. On Sunday night, April 3rd, he left her a voice message around 10.30, and again, she later insisted he sounded perfectly normal. He told her the family had been to dinner and a movie, and he was just calling to catch up with what was going on in her world. Nothing out of the ordinary, and yet very, very strange, especially when you hear what else Xavier was up to that weekend. It seemed he was getting serious about some home improvement, or at least that's how he wanted it to appear. At various stores around town, he picked up a shovel, a hoe, cement, trash bags, and quicklime. The month before, he bought landscaping tiles and grout. And then, they were all just gone. Sort of. When police checked the house on April 13th, they discovered that not only was it empty, but it was clean. 
Very clean. The only things obviously missing were some family photos. The frames sat glaringly empty. But the complete and total silence from the family pushed police back to the house again and again over the next six days. But they only found more questions. Why had the family's lease been canceled? Why were their bank accounts closed? If they were moving to Australia or America, why didn't they have plane tickets? And the questions piled up. The police agreed an investigation was in order. On April 19, 2011, they made it official. That's when they discovered that at least one person in the Dupont de Lagon family could be accounted for. On April 11th, he checked into a hotel in the south of France about six hours away from Nantes. He used a fake name, but his own credit card. The next night, he traveled further east and again used his credit card and a fake name for a hotel room. On April 13th, he drove a little farther and arrived in a town where he lived as a young bachelor in the 80s. He looked up an ex-girlfriend while he was there, but she says they didn't meet up, and he didn't stick around. The next night, an ATM camera caught him pulling out money in a little town on the coast, and he checked into the Hotel Formula One. The next day, April 15th, he was seen walking towards the woods. His car was left behind in the hotel parking garage. From there, it seems, he vanished from the face of the earth. And not a moment too soon, because on April 21st, the police learned what happened to his wife and kids. They were combing the house and yard for clues when they found part of a leg. Then they found the rest of the family. Buried underneath the patio were several large trash bags wrapped with tape. Inside the bags were the remains of Agnes, Anne, Thomas, Arthur, and Benoit. What was left of the lab's jewels and Leon were there too. The remnants of their pajamas and evidence of sleeping pills in the children's blood led police to speculate that they'd been drugged and shot at point-blank range as they slept. The bags containing their bodies were covered with lime to mask the smell of decomposition. Although there was no forensic proof to say for certain their killer was Xavier, there was certainly a mountain of circumstantial evidence, starting with the fact that he seemed to be the only survivor of the massacre, and he was nowhere to be found. As police dug into his past, they uncovered a secret life. According to Society magazine and reported on by Lanternot in February 2003, a full eight years before his family was murdered, he had registered a company in the United States. The name? NetSurf Concept LLC. So, was he planning on escaping to the U.S. for almost a decade? In 2010, friends say they got emails warning them that trouble was ahead, but no matter what the police said about him, he was innocent and he would eventually be cleared. And that same year, Agnes commented online about some concerns she had about Xavier. He was saying things like, if we were all dead, that might be for the best. Then, in January of 2011, his father did die from natural causes. As he was clearing out his belongings, he found a rifle. And from that point on, he developed a fascination with shooting. He got his firearms license and joined a local gun club. He even encouraged his sons to come to target practice with him. It was during one of those visits that Xavier asked one of his instructors about using a silencer. And in March, he bought a silencer to fit his rifle. It was obvious the family was shot and killed. But without that rifle, they couldn't say for sure that the gun he inherited was the murder weapon. They also couldn't say with any certainty when the family was killed. Since Arthur dropped out of contact first, he might have been the first to die. 
That could have been a spiteful gesture on Xavier's part, since Arthur was his stepson, Agnes's son from a previous relationship. And as the oldest male, he would have been the most likely to overpower Xavier. So we can assume he wasn't given that chance. The next three targeted were most likely Agnes, Anne, and Benoit, although some people swear they saw Agnes alive as late as April 7th. Thomas almost certainly was killed on April 5th when he rushed home to be at his mother's side after her supposed bike accident. But the only person who might be able to say for sure when and why they died was nowhere to be found. For the next 11 years, a massive manhunt would span the globe in search of Xavier Dupont de Ligon. And the police literally searched high and low. The woods he was last seen walking toward was searched in case he was hiding or had taken his own life. But nothing and no one was found. An extensive cave system was carefully examined, but no luck. In 2015, they thought they had him, or what was left of him. Bones were discovered just 11 miles from where he was last seen. But a few months after DNA results came back to prove it was not him, a journalist in Nantes got a peculiar note. It was a photograph featuring Arthur and Benoit smiling in happier times. On the back was a single sentence. I am still alive. Signed, Xavier Dupont de Ligon. There was no DNA or fingerprints on the photo to prove it was him who sent it, but remember the empty frames left behind in the house? Was that one of the family photos he may have taken with him? Three more years passed before another lead ignited the case again. This time, police raided a monastery. Several tips had come in swearing that one of the monks was the man they were looking for. Desperate for anything that might lead them to their suspect, police swarmed the location. But it was just someone who looked a little like him. And again, the case went cold. Then, in 2019, they got him. Or did they? A tip came in about a passenger flying from Paris to Scotland on a stolen passport. The man managed to slip out of their grip in France, so the Scottish police picked him up when he landed. And when his fingerprints came back as a match... They got the message they'd been waiting for. This is your man. But as fast as the celebration started, it stopped. A quick look at the airport security footage showed them a man who looked nothing like Xavier. So they pressed the Scottish police to send them the fingerprints to compare with what they had in their records. But they stalled. Their worst fears were confirmed when further fingerprinting and DNA testing revealed that it wasn't the missing count but rather an innocent man visiting his wife in Glasgow. The matching fingerprints was actually just a partial match, something not all that uncommon, and way too little evidence to start popping the champagne. The man was released without incident, and once again, Xavier was no closer to being found than before. The last great tip came in 2020, courtesy of this case being featured in Netflix's Unsolved Mysteries, and it points back to the United States. In an interview with Variety, one of the show's creators said they got a great tip from someone in Chicago. Here's the quote. I think they were on Lakeshore Drive and they heard this guy talking French and they looked at him and they just had seen the episode. They sent us a photo and it really did look like Xavier. It was striking. And of course, like they do with all credible tips, the show's staff forwarded it to law enforcement. So if you're in the Windy City, take note. Of course, that's assuming Xavier didn't end his own life in France. Even his friends and family are divided on the question of whether or not he's alive. 
And some wonder if he is in fact guilty of murder, or if the bodies discovered were even the family at all. Some people close to him insist that they are living happy and healthy in the United States. Reports say the family was not allowed to see the bodies because of the apparent gruesome nature they were found in. And less than two weeks after they were discovered, the bodies of the victims were cremated with their ashes spread in Agnes's hometown. This led to speculation about government agencies like the United States DEA and their French counterparts building an elaborate fake death scene, including some theorists saying the body's descriptions don't match the families. And then there's the how of it all. Xavier was known to have problems with his back. Could he have dug the mass grave with the one shovel he was seen buying? With no one noticing? Then somehow transported the bodies of his family to it by himself? So many questions. So few answers. But what do you think? Is Xavier still alive living on the lam? Is the entire Dupont de Lagon family living under an assumed name in America? Or... Did Xavier take his own life, hoping to join the family he may have sent to the afterlife ahead of him? Until next time, take care.